Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'll clock at 4.33 p.m. on November 30th, 2019. The 2019 Stanford football campaign came to a close. A season in which a lot of positive streaks for Stanford football came to an end. And now Stanford at a bit of a crossroads as the offseason begins. Next truly indeed begins now. It's the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Sunday, December 1st, 2019, the final TreeCast of the season. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm indeed Troy Clarity. We're breaking it down. We're going to spend a little bit of time on uh, Notre Dame's 45-24 win uh, over Stanford on Saturday afternoon, the season finale for the Cardinal. But we're going to spend uh, a, a lot more time on bigger picture stuff a bit later on in the show. You'll, of course, hear from David Shaw, and you'll hear from uh, various other voices along the way, including Casey Tuhill, uh, Cameron Scarlett, and Drew Dahlman, outside linebacker, running back, and center, respectively, for the Cardinal. Of course, you know the ground rules by now. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. At Troy Clarity, the last time it's spelled C L A R D Y. Just wrapped up my 27th season. 27th season following Stanford football. Man, I'm getting old. But this was a fun, a lot of fun moments. Maybe not quite the result uh, that I would have preferred, but uh, always an honor and a pleasure to, uh, to, pl- to follow and cover and uh, broadcast this program. Also welcome your thoughts on Stanford football as always via Twitter, hashtag TreeCast, hashtag TreeCast. As mentioned, not going to spend a whole lot of time on on the game itself. It started off pretty cool. Stanford went out to a 17-7 lead. Michael Wilson, up and down day for him, uh, but uh, he finished uh, a second half drive for Stanford on a high note, high pointing a 27-yard touchdown grab, and that put Stanford ahead 17-7. But then a blocked punt by Notre Dame recovered at the Stanford one-yard line, and everything started to snowball from there. By the time the smoke cleared, Notre Dame had beaten Stanford 45-24. to David Shaw, his knee-jerk reaction after the game to the Cardinal, finishing 4-8. and I'm responsible for the wins and losses. The thing is that regardless of injury, we had a chance to win more games. You know? And that's what I have to go back and look at, regardless of who's on the field. We have those opportunities to win games. It's about five games this year. They came back in the second half that if we make a couple of plays, the scores are different. So once again, that's what we're doing in the offseason. Myself and the coordination in particular. This is uncharted territory for Stanford. Their first losing season, obviously, um, since 2008. We've covered that ground in a previous tree cast. But uh, a lot on the table for Stanford after their season finished up on Saturday afternoon. Now, you know how we start TreeCast with three things you need to know. This TreeCast no different. Let's start with number one. 
Well, it was senior day at uh, Stanford Stadium. Uh, always, a, uh, always a fun moment, always an emotional moment. There's, there's a lot of young men who put their blood, sweat, heart, guts, tears, everything they possibly could um, into this program uh, for four and sometimes five years run out of that tunnel for the final time in a Cardinal uniform and play competitive ball representing Stanford football. A lot of young men recognize K.J. Costello was one of them, obviously in street clothes, as he was not able to go. We have not seen him, uh, had not seen him since uh, the Colorado game uh, in early November. Costello was recognized. Curtis Robinson, outside linebacker, and safety Malik Antoine were not. Found those interesting developments. Cameron Scarlett was recognized. Had to have been. This is a fifth-year senior for him. <laughs> so his year was, his eligibility exhausted after the end of this season. Cameron Scarlett from Portland, Oregon. Afterwards, I asked him about how his day was. It's been a great day. It's been a, one that I've been thinking about for you know for a long time. I was thinking, like, when is the last time I'm going to get the opportunity to play with my, my brothers and in the stadium, and it's such a special place and spe- such a special day. Um, have my family out here to watch it. Um, I mean, it's been emotional, and uh, I, you know, I just couldn't be more thankful to, you know, to finish five years healthy and uh, finish strong. Yeah, I'll, I'll say he finished up strong. His final touch was the final touchdown to the game for Stanford. So an emphatic one, too. Nice way for Cameron Scarlett to, to, to finish his Cardinal career. Would have been nice overall, obviously, for the senior class to get a win and to finish on a winning note. Was not to be, but uh, those seniors went through a lot, achieved a lot, and did a lot. I think all Stanford fans uh, can very well be very proud of what the Stanford seniors were able to do throughout the course of their Cardinal careers. That's one. Let's get to number two. At the other end of the spectrum, we have the freshmen that played for Stanford. 20 true freshmen played this year. Astronomical number and one of the highest tallies in the country in college football this year. Eight of those 20 true freshmen started. 12 of them played in four, more than four games this year. All five true offensive, true freshman offensive linemen played this year. Four of them started. Three of them got significant starts. Branson Bragg uh, momentary started before he got hurt at UCF. All those youngsters, especially on the offensive line, and all their hard work was not unnoticed by Stanford junior center Drew Dahlman. I couldn't be more proud of him. I don't think a lot of people know the mental aspect of the game alone to, to kind of get yourself up to speed so you can play in a game like this uh, as an offensive lineman. So super proud of them for, for stepping up and learning on their own as well as with us. And then they got better every single week. It was, it was awesome to play next to those guys, get them going in the right direction, and, and they just did things right. And they continued to do it well and, and continued to, to dominate throughout the year. So I had super, super bright futures for all of them. Couldn't be more proud to play next to them. And, we're going to get an offseason in them, get them working hard, and, and kind of see where it goes. That's Drew Dahlman. And I, I should note, you might remember, of course, obviously you saw uh, Walter Rouse, the Stanford freshman left tackle, who became the starting left tackle in week two against USC after Walker Little went out for the season. Rouse went down in the second half, was leg whipped from behind. Everyone felt terrible. Just a just a rotten scene to watch as uh, Rouse was helped off the field by a couple of his own teammates and escorted off to the trainer's bench. I, I felt terrible. That, that that young man went through too much this season to have his year end like that. But I should note after the game, when Stanford let the fans onto the field, nice touch, I think, at the end of every uh, 
uh, regular season finale for Stanford at home, they let the fans on the field and, and let them hang out. I think that's a really nice touch. I'm glad they've done that over the past few years. But I should note that that in that mix amongst the fans, Walter Rouse on the field, upright, walking around, smiling, and taking pictures with fans. So I was I was very, very pleased to see that. Now, of course, not everyone was so lucky with injuries, which brings us to thing number three. Let me take you back to Stanford's week one depth chart and going through that depth chart and seeing which positions were hit by significant injuries. You saw the quarterback one, also at QB two, backup running back with Dorian Maddox, left tackle, left guard, right guard, Backup interior lineman, Dylan Powell, was backing up at uh, both guard positions and the center spot as well. Both backup inside linebackers, Ricky Miazon and Jacob Megan Farrar, Farrar. Outside linebacker, as Jordan Fox was lost along the way. Stanford's best cornerback, their most experienced safety, and their top two kickers. All of those guys were lost for significant stretches of time. Stanford had 49 different players on the week one depth chart across all positions, including special teams. 14 of them missed at least two games with injury, or at least not even on the depth chart for at least two games with injury. 15 if you want to count Connor Weddington, who basically missed two games as he was knocked out of the big game on the opening kickoff. So for all intent and purposes, he missed two games. Injuries were even a factor during the spring, as you might remember. Stanford didn't have any offensive linemen to operate fully then either. Was that a factor? And injuries overall, how big of a factor was it for Stanford this year? Casey Tuhill offered up his thoughts. The problem with like that line of thinking is just it's just kind of excuse driven. I mean, if I was to sit here and say, you know, oh, we didn't get enough reps, that's why we lost, or we didn't do this, we didn't do that. I mean, our strength coach leaving, things like that. It's just it's it weakens the character. I mean, we really just at the end of the day it was on us um, and we, we didn't we weren't up to the task and that's I mean in life it's hard we always look for these explanations for things right we want to explain complex phenomena with um, with simple solutions or simple answers but it's it's not simple I mean it's just there were a lot of things in our own play that just weren't right and that's what needs to get corrected and I have full faith that they will correct that and I mean I wish I could have I mean I, I didn't play my best at plenty of times and I, I look back on that and that makes me sad, but you know, I, I, I'm still proud of how this team was able to fight, even though um, they were, we were down like a lot and we had our back against the wall pretty much the whole year. Well, I'm going to miss watching Casey Tuhill play. And, and, and no, it's, it's, it's not an excuse, but it's certainly an explanation. All those injuries that Stanford suffered, uh, a, a direct cause of many of the things that we saw for the Cardinal this season, positive and negative. You might not want to call it an excuse. That's fine. But it certainly explains a lot. Explains a whole lot. Those are three things. A couple quick things on the game itself. Uh, David Shaw has talked, um, especially late in the season, when it appeared uh, that the trajectory of the campaign wasn't going to go in quite the direction that he would have hoped. Uh, Shaw has talked about this being a season of inches. A lot of close calls that could have gone either way for Stanford. Unfortunately, many of them did not go in the Cardinals' direction. And we saw that reflected in a couple of, I, th- I think, a, a couple of hidden key plays for Stanford against Notre Dame on Saturday. Brilliant drive for the Cardinal in the first quarter. 
converted third downs, looked pretty good, got to first and goal. First and goal eventually became fourth and goal at the one. Tucker Fisk gets called for a false start. Now fourth and one becomes fourth and six, and instead of Stanford breaking a tie with a touchdown to go up 14-7, to seven, as it was tied at seven at that point, Cardinal have to settle for three. They get the field goal and take a mere 10-7 lead. 16-play, 82-yard, 8-minute and 21-second drive, but to go all that way just to get three points, especially at that juncture of the game, who, who knows how different things might have looked if the Cardinal had been able to take a 14-7 lead at that point. That's certainly one hidden key play. Another hidden key play that came to my mind just, just while off the top of my head, uh, Notre Dame driving, and Ian Book throws a pass to o o over the middle that somehow just gets past Curtis Robinson in the second quarter. It's caught, touchdown. Notre Dame uh, ends up uh, with a big-time touchdown, and they really don't look back from there. That's a game of inches right there. But the other main key hidden play for the Cardinal, middle of the second quarter, Stanford up 17-7. Ball at their own 21, third and four. Mills forced to scramble. He showed a lot more mobility um, against Notre Dame than, quite honestly, I would have liked, and certainly more than I expected. But he scrambles, gets close to the first down. It's a close spot, real close. No challenge from Shaw. No first down. Next play, punt blocked, and Notre Dame's off to a 31-0 run before you know it. After the game, I asked David Shaw if he thought about making the officials take a second look at that spot after the run from Davis Mills. I was in communication with the official on the sidelines. When they're, they're in communication from the box. And when they say that it's confirmed, then taking a, basically taking a timeout to look at it is a waste of a timeout. Now, if they hadn't said it was confirmed, then yes, and I say I wouldn't challenge it. But they're looking at it up there. We saw it on the booth. It was close. It was really close. It looked like his head was over the line, but I couldn't see where the ball was. Um, so counting on our guys upstairs, they couldn't really tell. They knew it was close. Uh, but once, stand next to the official, once he says, Coach, it's confirmed, then I'm not going to waste the time out. Yep, in the very next play, everything started heading south for Stanford. So just a couple of quick things. Uh, Davis Mills threw for 276 yards. Michael Wilson um, with 10 catches, up and down day for him. Also had a muff punt uh, along the way. Andrew Pritz, a lot of tackles, another very active game for him. But it all adds up to Stanford finishing 4-8, and eight, their first losing season in 11 years, and no bowl game. No bowl game for Stanford. That, that streak snapped as well. Now, I'm not thrilled about it. It's, it's not my preference, but quite honestly, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with Stanford not going to a bowl this year based on all the things that this team went through and all the attrition that this team suffered and, quite honestly, with all the things that are on the plate for this program in the months ahead. You know, there's no need to be spending that time, you know, preparing for some piddly bowl that no one really cares about. No. I think this is a great time for the players to get healthy, for the coaches to get afresh, to hit the recruiting trail. For, for David Shaw, maybe to think about some uh, philosophical things, uh, for, for some fundamental things, uh, some operational things within the program, perhaps, if he chooses uh, to take some directions there. This is, a, this is a perfect time for, I think, all of those things to be addressed. David Shaw, after the game, gave us a preview of the months ahead for him and the program. It's never preferable 
we will utilize this time very well. Um, we have essentially, after this game, about 30 guys that'll be rehabbing. Um, about 20 plus of them are post-surgery rehabs. So that's a good time for those guys. But once again, with so many young guys playing, we have a lot of guys that don't need postseason surgery, but need to take about three weeks off. Because what's missing yeah, when you play a lot of freshmen, I want to say, gosh, I don't know how many freshmen we play. You guys probably know better than me. I think it's probably of our entire class, three quarters of them played, if not more than three quarters, probably 80% of them played in games. Half of them played a lot in games. Um, these guys are playing without an entire offseason. So as you look out there, when you got a true freshman going against a guy who's a junior, that guy has two more full off-seasons of lifting and running um, than our freshmen that come in in June and have about a month and a half to get ready for college football. So that process for those guys will start in our winter. But a lot of those guys have been holding up, thankfully, um, but they need about three weeks to get their bodies back so that we can actually attack uh, winter quarter um, and, and really get back in condition. So. Um, as coaches, it's more time than we wanted, but it gives us a lot of time to do a lot of scheme evaluations. Uh, this, this team is going to change a little bit as we go from this year to next year with the guys that are leaving and the guys that are coming back. Um, and as coaches, we have to prepare for that. There's things that we know that we want to do, things that we have to see. Uh, we got a handful of guys that have some really tough decisions to make. And over the next uh, couple of weeks, um, I'm going to help guide those guys and uh, see what's best for them. And then um, we'll know probably in about a month or so um, who's coming back, um, or who's not, and we can really start to craft our plan for 2020. Yeah, the process begins as the 2020 team will start to take some shape. Uh, there's still a recruiting class to solidify. Uh, Stanford still has, has draft-eligible guys with decisions to make. Um, Walker Little, the left tackle, of course, uh, being one of them. I am hearing he's leaning towards coming back, or at least the last check I had. Um, so we'll see how, 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 that, how that turns out. And some guys may call it a career altogether. You never know. You never know. So it's a bit early, perhaps, to forecast how Stanford's personnel might look on the field. Now, that being said, I was asked during the game yesterday if I thought David Shaw would make changes on the coaching staff. And my knee-jerk thought was that, well, it, it depends on how much David Shaw feels that injuries factored into things this year and how much it prevented his coaches from from help from 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 getting their guys to be at their best. I I think that I think he's going to have to view things through that lens when deciding if he himself is going to be making some coach some some changes uh, to the coaching staff. Now I've I've heard you know the grumbling about Kevin Carberry, the Stanford offensive line coach, and this year I don't see that at all. Was the offensive line for Stanford this year as physical as it's been in years past? No. No, it wasn't. But, but physicality is a byproduct of strength. And 18-year-olds, as Stanford was running around out there on the offensive line for the overwhelming majority of the season, 
18-year-olds are just not going to be as strong as 21-year-olds. You heard Shaw say it. They had a lot of true freshmen going up against juniors and seniors on the other team who have two or three off-seasons of lifting and running under their belt. Tough task. So, no, they weren't going to be as physical as other offensive lines, you know, the, the heyday of the Tunnel Workers Union. No, they weren't going to be that physical. But that unit didn't fall off the cliff like many of us feared. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, there are all sorts of worst-case scenarios running through my mind as Stanford offensive linemen dropped like flies throughout much of September. They didn't fall off a cliff. And they'll get stronger and more physical and more experienced with all the all the playing time underneath those, those guys' belts. Walter Rouse, Barrett Miller, uh, Jake Hornerbrook started half the season. Can only help those guys going forward. Maybe that will help restore the running game that Shaw and Stanford as a program prize so much. Oh, by the way, Stanford should be pretty good throwing the ball next year as well, no, no matter who the quarterback is. So some grumbling about Kevin Carberry and his status. Uh, from, from my standpoint, I'm not inside the program. I'm not in coaches' meetings, right? We're not allowed to witness and watch practice in, in, as members of the media. But from my standpoint, based on what I've seen and what Kevin Carberry had to go through this year, I don't understand those grumblings about him this year at all. But if Shaw doesn't feel that the coaching was up to and beyond the standard, despite the injuries, he'll make changes. That's what he'll do. Or other coaches will leave. That happens as well. Sometimes guys get better opportunities. By the way, th this applies to the defensive side of the ball too. Uh, I feel the, need to, feel the need to point that out. But it's still overall is Stanford's first losing season in 11 years. This is uncharted territory, no bowl game to talk about. The, the, the finality of it all just kind of struck me a little bit as, as I was walking a, across the field uh, after the uh, press conferences across the way, walking across the field back to the press box. You know, the lights were on. It was a very cold, cold, cold night. And just the, the eeriness and the finality of it all. I was like, whoa, we don't, we don't get to do this anymore this year. Is this the end of Stanford's great run? Is this it? I don't know. I don't know. In my mind, it's too early to tell. I think that answer will come in the next year. Because hopefully this is just a little bit of a blip in the road. And the last time I heard people talking about the end of Stanford football as we know it, the next year Stanford went off to the Rose Bowl. And Christian McCaffrey was, was turning, the, uh, turning the Rose Bowl into his own personal showcase. So I remember what happened the last time there was all this ap apocalyptic talk about Stanford football. Granted, in 2014, Stanford didn't actually have a losing season and didn't have anywhere near the attrition, mostly due to injury, that it did this year. So in a lot of ways, the situation in 2014 wasn't as dire as it was this year. But still, I, I still think that needs to be noted. The last time Stanford football fans felt this rotten about their team at the end of a season, we were all making plans for Pasadena the next year. Wouldn't mind if history repeats itself this time around. And look, the, the cupboard certainly isn't bare. Well, unless, unless everyone gets hurt again. But 
there, there will certainly be a lot more experience coming back for Stanford this year. I can't wait to see, no matter who the quarterback is, I can't wait to see how the Stanford passing game looks next year. I, I, that, that, could be, that could be something special. But way too soon, in my mind, to say, whether, to say and declare that, that Stanford football is done. No matter what, though, this is the greatest decade of Stanford football. Just wrapped up. This is the greatest decade. 98 wins, three Rose Bowl appearances, two Rose Bowl wins, a Fiesta Bowl, an Orange Bowl, Pac-12 championships, Pac-12 North Division championships, Heisman Trophy runners-up. Should have been winners, at least a couple of them anyway. But this by far the greatest decade of Stanford football. Yeah, the 2000s. Started off pretty well, the 2001 squad, then the, the dip into the doldrums, but then things started to end on an uptick at the end of that decade. The 90s, wildly inconsistent, but it ended great with the Rose Bowl at the end of the 99 season. 92 was a fantastic year as well. The 80s, mostly disappointing. The 70s started off quite well, fell off just a little bit, but had some, had some moments. And Stanford football really didn't start to come into his own until until the late 60s. So by far, the teens, is that what we're calling this decade? I don't know. But this is by far the greatest decade that Stanford football has ever experienced. And I don't know about you, but I had fun. I had fun this decade. And, and, and hopefully as time goes by, and, and maybe it's my, my fault for lurking around the message boards, <laughs> you know, and things like that, and all the all the keyboard critics out there complaining about all sorts of things, and and e- e- even when things were great. So maybe it serves me right for for feeling this way, but I, I certainly I certainly hope that you had fun too, I really do. Because success in college football can be fleeting. Again, we'll find out. I don't know if this is the end of the run, but. If it is, what a great run it was. We'll find out starting next year. And this is also, by the way, a program full of great kids who represent this program while they're here and after they leave. After his media availability yesterday, Casey Tuhill shook everybody's hand in the meet, made it a point. Good guy. I'm, I'm, as mentioned, I'm going to really miss watching him play. Walter Rouse. That, 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 that young man is destined for fantastic things on or off the football field. Same for Thomas Booker. Love K.J. Costello. Love watching him play. Love watching him lead. For my own personal selfish purposes, I wouldn't mind seeing him back again next year, but that's a decision that he is going to have to make for the betterment of his situation. Whatever he feels is best, that's the decision he's going to make. I'm going to miss him if this is it for him in Stanford uniform, but but really enjoy getting to know KJ a bit and talking to him. And the list goes on and on. Fantastic kids throughout this program that serve as wonderful ambassadors for one of the great universities on the planet. On that note, a final thought from David Shaw, who wrapped up his post-game press conference by being asked you know, final two games, Cal and Notre Dame celebrating on your field. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't worry about that. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, to the victors go the spoils. Uh, I plan on celebrating at a lot of other people's fields next year. <laughs> that That's as close to trash talk as you're going to get from David Shaw. <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard him say anything remotely like that since uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who was then the Washington head coach, ran his mouth a little bit, and then and then D. Shaw kind of had to clap back at him. So I haven't heard anything like that from him for, for a few years. But but let's see. Let's see. Crossroads offseason coming up. A lot of things to like about Stanford football heading into 2020, and a lot of question marks, too. This is going to be one of the more intriguing offseasons for Stanford football that we've had in quite a while. It's been a remarkable season overall here on the TreeCast. Tried to bring you inside Stanford football as best we possibly could with interviews and and commentary and all sorts of things that you just could not hear anywhere else. I'm I'm, I'm proud of of, of being able to bring this this to you guys, and I certainly uh, thank you all for for your support. Our fourth year of TreeCasts will be in the books once this uh, episode is done. So big time thank you to all of you who have uh, subscribed, who have listened, who have shared your opinions on on Stanford football, on the show, on me. I certainly appreciate uh, all of it big time. You know, Stanford football fans, not not the biggest of numbers, but you know, I'm a guy who likes quality over quantity, and I, and I would put the quality of uh, Stanford football fans up against uh, anybody's and any other college football fan bases anywhere in the country. Uh, big time thank you to, uh, to, the, to the listeners out there, to you for listening, uh, to the Stanford Athletics Department, uh, the folks in the uh, Stanford uh, Media Relations uh, Department, Scott Swiegen, uh, Tyler Givett. They, those two have been fantastic all season long in helping uh, get, uh, get me set up with interviews and things like that all throughout the course of the year. It's been interesting. <laughs> Again, not the result that we all wanted but a season that could potentially be a springboard for better things to come starting in 2020. Enjoy the remainder of your holiday season. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. And that will wrap it up for the 2019 season. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the TreeCast with Troy Clayton. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.